about. Today, um, I'm going to do an, uh, something that's almost the entire opposite of what I'm going to start doing next week. Starting next week, I'm really going to focus on one book of the Bible. Today, we're going to be all over the Bible as we talk about stewardship. Now, one of the reasons I think it's important for us to focus on this big picture of stewardship as a lifestyle is that I believe the pandemic has changed a lot of things. It's changed a lot of our perspectives about how we work. Um, a lot of people aren't working from, um, from the office anymore. They're working from home. A lot of people aren't working at all anymore. They've taken the opportunity for early retirement. Um, so how we work is, has changed. How we feel about um, the security of the future because things come along. And now we're very aware. One little thing, an invasion, a pandemic, it can change a lot of things in the world and, and really mess up our, our perspective of how secure we are. And, and it really can change how we um, how we address these things. And so um, I, I wanted to address this as a larger thing. And, and I'm going to start from the beginning here and say, this is not just about giving. Um, it really is a lifestyle approach to stewardship. Uh, probably 18 years ago, we got together with a team of people in the church and we came up with what we call our stewardship values. I talk about these uh, frequently. They, they come up, they came up during our Romans preaching series. They came up during our Proverbs preaching series. And from time to time, I just like today, go back to these five stewardship values to talk about a whole lifestyle of stewardship. So this is not just a message about giving. Um, if you're wondering, is this, you know, all the secret messages about giving? No, I really believe that what we've experienced over the last three years has really um, changed our perspective and made this a more important message than, than I think it's ever been in the past um, from our perspective. Now, it's always been a significant thing in Scripture. Uh, in the Bible, there are only 40 verses on baptism, and we make a big deal about it. We're going to have a baptism today, second hour. Um, there are 275 verses on prayer. We emphasize that. Huge part of the Christian life. 350 verses on faith, most of them in the Gospel of John. 650 verses on love. That's really central. But there are over 2,000 verses related directly to finances and material possessions. How we handle the stewardship of our life. Um, not just our money, but our possessions, um, our time. Over 2,000 verses that address that. So it's a significantly important thing for us to address. And so that's what I want to talk about here today. And, and what I want to start off with is this. Here's a definition of stewardship. What is, what is stewardship in the big way? And so many churches approach stewardship as stewardship is are you giving? It's not at all what stewardship is. Stewardship, literally the word, is managing the resources of another person until they return and ask for an accounting. If you are a steward of someone else's resources, um, you, are, you are a steward because they're the one who have the resources, but you're managing for it. You're stewarding it for them. And usually the picture is they're away, they are doing something else, but you're managing. But here's the critical thing. That person will return, and we're going to see parable after parable where Jesus frames stewardship this way. The person whose resources you're managing will return, and when they return, they'll ask you for an accounting. And they'll ask you, how have you used those resources? That's what stewardship is. Stewardship is managing the resources of another until they return and they ask for an accounting. Now, I want to illustrate this a couple of ways. Number one... Um, the Bible itself says this. Moreover, it is required that stewards, 
That's what we are. Um, stewards, be found faithful. Um, in 1 Corinthians, the, a huge section is, is uh, given in the beginning of 1 Corinthians to talk about our identity and who we are. And, and one of the ways that we identify ourselves is we're stewards. We're managing someone else's resources. And as we manage them, what's required is that we are faithful in that. Now, let me see if I can give you a, a not so modern, um, kind of an ancient and yet more recent illustration. And I tried to update this illustration and I can't come up with anything better. Um, I began reading the Lord of the Rings series at least... 30 years ago. <laughs> um, my set of the Lord of the Rings, the three volumes, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, the Return of the King, my set of that is the 25th anniversary edition, and it's literally a hardback set that's falling apart. I've read it numerous times. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Go with me here for just a minute, okay? <laughs> In the story, there is a king. When you meet him, he doesn't look like a king. By the way, if this sounds familiar, it should be. When you meet um, this guy named Aragorn, he's a king, although he's introduced as a guy named Strider. Very mysterious. Um, you don't find out until much later, oh my gosh, this is a king. Um, and he is, he is a king who's been away. He's been away for a long time. Um, he is the king of Gondor. But there's a character in the book, two characters, who are stewards of Gondor. One of them, this evil-looking guy... His name is Denethor. He is the steward of Gondor. The king is away. Nobody knows where he's been. Some people are even skeptical that he's not going to come back. And so Denethor has got the resources of the king at his disposal, and he's using them for himself. And when he realizes the king is coming back, he doesn't want to turn it over to the king. He wants to say, this is all mine. Now, Denethor ends up dying in the story. Um, which leaves, he has two sons. One of his sons, Faramir, um, becomes now the steward of Gondor. And he turns over the kingdom back to Aragorn because the king does return. He wins a decisive battle and then he returns to take over his kingdom. And when he turn, returns to take over his kingdom, um, this um, steward who's been in charge, the second one, faithfully says, I've tried to manage what I could for your good, and now it's all yours. Here you can have it. Um, this is the, the, the image of a steward, a king who's gone away, a little bit mysterious, not sure when he's coming back, and you can either manage it for yourself and think it's all yours, and then be surprised when he shows up, or you can say, no, it actually is yours. Here's a great quote from the book. Um, Tolkien uh, wrote it out this way, and, and Tolkien obviously understands what he's alluding to. Suddenly, Faramir stirred. He's been hurt in a battle. And he opened his eyes, and he looked on Aragorn, the king who had come back, uh, who bent over, and a light of knowledge and love was kindled in his eyes. And he spoke softly. This is Faramir. My lord, you called me, I come. What does the king command? This is a steward. <laughs> uh, we may have been injured in the battle. We've been doing the best job we can. But if you're a Faramir steward, um, when the king returns and you see him, a, a light of knowledge and love will be king kindled in your eyes. <laughs> and when you see him, you'll say, you called me. What do you command now? 
That's what it means to be a steward. Um, and by the way, a steward is an honorable position. Uh, Tolkien puts in the words of Gandalf, one of the main characters in the book, this sentence. To me, it would not seem that a steward who faithfully surrenders his charge is diminished in love or in honor. If you're a steward and you do a good job at it, that doesn't diminish you by going, okay, I just served and now you can have all your stuff back. None of that matters. No, um, <laughs> someone who does this well is going to be loved and honored by the resources, by the person who owns the resources that you have. Um, so that, that's what a steward is. I'm trying to illustrate this as, as much as I can. Uh, let me give you a couple of biblical stories. Jesus tells a number of parables um, that are about the kingdom and how, how we are stewards. Uh, first of all, Luke chapter 12, G Jesus said this, the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible steward is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing the other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. Um, Jesus is, is talking, he's saying we are managing his resources and he's going to return and you will actually be rewarded for the things you have done. That's why it, uh, we see these rewards in heaven. There's three things that motivate the believer. There's retribution. If you don't do a good job, you're going to be disciplined. Um, there's relationship. Um, you know, I just love the Lord and I want to do everything I can for him. But there's also this reward idea that we're literally laying up treasures in heaven. And, and we're not just commanded or just encouraged to think about that. The scripture actually says, lay up treasures in heaven. Um, there's a lot going on there. There's also um, these extended parables that, that take place. And I want to share one of them with you from Matthew. Matthew 25, um, the parable of the, the ten bridesmaids. Here's the, the context of this, is that there are a number of bridesmaids who are waiting with um, the bride for the bridegroom to come um, and, uh, and gather the bride and take her to the, the celebration that's taking place. And the bridesmaids are with them, and the bridesmaids are going to accompany them, but, but they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And as they're waiting, the point of this is, are you going to be prepared when he shows up? Matthew 25, the story of these 10 bridesmaids. God's kingdom is like 10 young bridesmaids who took the oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins, these bridesmaids, took lamps, but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil and filled their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him, and they all fell asleep. Um, he delayed. <laughs> he didn't show up exactly when they thought he was going to be. And, and people were starting to think, is he going to come? And they, they fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled, he's here. The bridegroom is here. Go out and greet him. The ten virgins got up and got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend some oil of yours. They answered, um, There might not be enough to go around. Go buy your own. They did not. They did. They did. But while they were um, out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. When everyone who was there to greet him had gone out to the wedding, uh, the door was locked. It was too late. <laughs> Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here. Let us in. He answered, Do I know you? I don't think I know you. So stay alert. You have no idea when he might arrive. 
Now, with these parables, there's a danger of trying to, what interpreters call, make it walk on all fours. Try to make the oil means this, and who's this, and who's this. The point of the parable is in the scriptures, okay? Let me just tell you what the parable means. It means what Jesus says it means when he says, stay alert, you have no idea when he might return. That's the point. Don't try to figure out anything else. There's one point here, be alert, he's coming back. This theme is seen in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Now, little children, I think this is actually the theme verse of 1 John, abide in him, stay connected to him. Do everything that you're supposed to do to maintain that connection. And in 1 John, what that means is walk in the light and walk in love. Um, why should we abide in him? So that when he appears, when he comes back, and you don't know when it's going to be. And it seems like it's been delayed so that when you, he comes back, you're not asleep. <laughs> when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. When he comes back, are you going to go, I was a good steward. There's love. There's light in my eyes. What do you require of me? Or is there going to be shame because you have not managed the resources well? Um, how are you going to look at that? Um, in the Greek, the confidence at his coming is actually just like confidence at coming kind of go together. Um, in Greek, it's uh, parousia into parasua. Uh, it, it, is, it is a rhyming phrase. We should have confidence at his coming. And how do you have confidence in his coming? Abiding in him, being a good steward. And so we're going to talk about what a good steward looks like. More than just giving. Giving's a part of this, but it's more than that. If, if there's anything you take away from this message, anything you take away from this message, I want you to talk, think about this. Stewardship is more than your money. The first stewardship value we talk around here is being a hard worker. This is kind of a daily discipline of being a hard worker. Um, as a steward of God's resources, a disciple of Christ, that's what we are, can be counted on to give their best effort at all times. Now, I know that um, things have changed. <laughs> some people are working from home all the time. Some people are working from home sometimes. Um, you may be um, a homeschool mom. You may be uh, partially retired. You may be fully retired. Um, no matter where you are, a hard worker is a person who's giving their best effort no matter what they are doing. A, a number of verses say this. The book of Proverbs is all about this. By the way, the entire picture of what stewardship looks like is Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. I've talked about this recently. Proverbs 10 to 31, 10 to 31 is not about women. Proverbs, 10, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 is a summary of the entire book of Proverbs lived out in a person, and he happens to choose a woman as the example of what it looks like. But all of these values um, are there. A, a hard worker, a, a prudent manager, a wise investor, a cautious debtor, and a joyful giver. All of them are wrapped up in this woman in Proverbs chapter 31, but it's also scattered throughout the book. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. That's not a promise. It's just here's the principle. If you work hard, you're going to do well. All work brings you a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Do your work. <laughs> do you see any truly competent workers? By the way, they're rare. They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. You'll, if you're a hard worker, 
typically you're going to be recognized and you're going to move up if you just continue to be a really good hard worker. Um, it, it's what's required of students that you work hard. You manage the resources, the energy, the positions, the opportunities that God has given you. Colossians three twenty three says it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? Because you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, there's going to be a reward for those who do this well. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Whatever you do, this doesn't mean your ministry, what you do at the church. This means everything. Whatever you're doing, you'll be an exemplary worker because you're not just working for humans. You're working for the Lord. Um, Here's how I would summarize it. The way we do our work says everything about how seriously we take our faith. The way you do your work says everything about how seriously you take your faith. It's not just how you serve at church. It's, it's how, you, um, how you do the work that's in front of you. How well you take care of your lawn says something about you. And whether you recognize that your house, your lawn, your uh, position in your neighborhood, that's a, it's not the most important thing that you do, but it says something about how seriously you take your faith that you know that's not your lawn anyways. It's God's lawn. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the grass that the cattle eat, that you mow. He owns it. And are you taking care of it? Are you taking care of it as a representative of the king? Do people know that? Do they look at that and see what they looks like? Real quickly, I just want to go through something I've talked about before. I'm a big Patrick Lencioni fan. He's got a new book that comes out tomorrow um, on the five working geniuses. I've talked about that a little bit. But he wrote, also wrote a book called The Ideal Team Player, where he talks about what a good worker looks like. And, and he says that a good worker is hungry, humble, and smart. Um, I think those are really good categories. Let me explain them and how he explains them. The humble person is the person um, who is humble enough to recognize their place on the team. They fit into the team. They'll do whatever it takes to, to get the job done. They don't have to be exalted all the time. They'll give credit to other people. They acknowledge their weaknesses, and they, they are able to share the, share the workload and help other people out because they're humble. It's not all about them. It's about the team. They're humble enough to be a good team player because the team succeeding is what matters to them. They're humble. They're hungry. Uh, they go above and beyond. They, they work hard. They strive to do um, things that are above and beyond just the basics. They're, they're hungry to learn more, to figure out how can I do my job and help the team succeed, and I'm going to go above and beyond to do that. And they're smart. When I first read the book, I thought, well, at least I've got that one covered. It's the one I'm weakest at. Smart means you're people smart. You know how to read the room. You understand the impact you're having on other people. Are you smart enough to understand you talk too much? Are, are you smart enough to understand that your impact in the room can be negative, and so you need to figure out how to do that better? Um, <laughs> these, are, these are qualities of good workers. Are you humble? Are you hungry? Are you smart? Now, all of you are sitting there and you're going, yeah, I know people who are maybe hungry and smart, but boy, they're not humble. <laughs> or that they're humble and hungry, but they're not smart. Yeah, 
I, we all know people like this. It's easy to point the finger. Here, what I want you to do is think about what's the area you should grow in? A good steward who recognizes that they have been given time and a life and opportunities is going to be a hard worker no matter what they're working on. Even if you're working on being retired well, they'll do that with a recognition, I'm a steward of this time that God has given me. A steward is also a good, prudent manager. This is kind of the manager of everything. If you see anything in Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, this wise woman is, is a great manager. As a steward of God's resources, disciple of Christ, intentionally superintends their time, their talent, and their treasures for God's glory. They manage, they're prudently managing, intentionally superintending, intentionally looking at the bigger picture to say, how can I use my time, my talents, my treasures, um, the days I have, the abilities and the gifts that I have, and the resources that I have. How can I use that, not for my own security, but for God's glory? By the way, this is one of the things that I think has changed in the last three years, is we feel way less secure. Because you never know when an invasion or an infection is going to really rattle us. We feel way less secure. And so, are we still managing with the bigger purposes in mind. Luke chapter 12, the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible steward is one to whom the manager can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. He's managing the whole package. We saw this at the very beginning. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, and it's not just managing um, the, the money, it's managing the whole package that God has given you, your relationships, Managing your time, managing um, your energies. Are you managing them? And all of that changes throughout your life. Are you managing them well? And, and is, is God going to say, yes, you've done a good job. So when we enter into heaven, I'm going to put you in charge of some things there. We read in Luke 16, another one of these parables. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And you, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful in other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? This is how God is looking at us. If I give you a little and you do a good job, I'll give you more. And if you do a good job, I'll give you more. But if you're not managing even the little things that you've got, why is he going to give you more to manage? And if he, you're not managing um, physical things, I mean, and I'm, I'm as serious as I can be about this, your car, your lawn, if you're not managing those things well, and all of us have areas where we need to improve. I have areas where I need to improve. Um, but I get to choose the things. I mow my lawn. It looks pretty good. So that's why I'm using it as illustration. All of us have areas where we need to improve on the, the tangible things. If we're not handling the tangible little things, how is God going to give you greater spiritual responsibility of the spiritual responsibility of your family and those kind of things? A, a prudent manager, uh, Matthew 6, says it this way, don't hoard yourself treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasures in heaven. By the way, that's not a, eh, if you think about it this way, no, it's a command, stockpile treasures in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where most of you want to end up. 
Where's your treasure? Where is your treasure? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Or are you unknowingly laying up treasures that are going to the Conway City dump? I mean, this is one of the great realities of parents that I'm managing resources for who are getting older. I look at their stuff that they have saved, and I look at now my stuff that I'm saving and realize, you know what? When I die, Josh is taking a bunch of this stuff to the city dump. Um, yeah, when I die, somebody come in and get all my books you want. Josh doesn't want any of them. Because then you can hold them for a long time and then take them to the city dump. Are, are, where you're putting your treasures, that's where you want to end up. Do you want to end up at the city dump or are you laying up treasures in heaven? Later on, he goes on to say, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. You can't. You have to make a choice. Who are you going to worship? Um, a good steward is also a cautious debtor. Um, it doesn't mean debt is sin. I'm going to show you that. It doesn't mean debt is sin, but you're cautious in your debt, and you only use debt strategically. As a steward of God's resources, a disciple of Christ limits their financial risks to avoid foolish obligations. You don't, you don't get into bad places. Now, the first place that Proverbs talks about this literally is co-signing. Um, but we get into very bad situations, and it's true for our world. The, the, the Christian chicken is Chick-fil-A. The Christian financial advisor is Dave Ramsey. Here's what Dave Ramsey says. While America is listed among the world's richest nations, the average American debt continues to weigh its citizens down. Almost three out of four Americans, 72%, say they are burdened by debt, including mortgages, and two-thirds of Americans, 66%, report consumer debt with an average of 34,000 debt load per, per person. Outside of your mortgage, most people have way too much debt. That's what he's saying. <laughs> the bigger thing is, when you get yourself in debt, it's a burden to you. And by the way, the Bible's going to acknowledge that in just a few moments. I'm going to show you that. It is a burden when you're trying to keep up with the Joneses or keep up with your mom and dad. Before you pay your dues, before you set the good foundation, and, and for most people, that debt is, is a pressure and it's a burden that, that restricts you. He goes on to say the average American consumer debt is 34000 Consumer debt, credit card debt, cars, those kind of things. Generation X, now this is my, not my generation, I'm a boomer. Generation X has the most debt on average, but millennials a little less. By the way, they haven't had time to accumulate all of that. But they're only 27000 behind this 34000 number. Consumer debt increase, increases as household income increases. This is a crazy thing. Your debt should go down if your income goes up. But what happens... By the way, a lot of you, you're middle class people, <laughs> I get it, a lot of you have enough income that your debt should be going down, your consumer debt should be going down, but it's going up because you think, oh, I've got enough um, income to handle that. But it just puts more pressure on you. Millennials have less debt than other generations, but are more stressed about their debt. Um, and part of that goes back to are millennials really in, encouraged and and are they, is their perspective that, that they're going to work hard? Do, do millennials see their lives that way? Now, I think you can be out of balance in that. I've, I've heard it said this way, that, that my generation, the boomer generation, we lived to work. And the younger generations, they work to live. I think there's some balance somewhere. 
Um, you need to work well and then live well. Um, here, here's what scripture says. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. By the way, all of Proverbs 6 is about this whole idea of, of indebtedness and how you're managing that. My child, if you've put up security for a friend's debt, if you've co-signed, and you've agreed to the debt of a stranger, if you have uh, trapped yourself by agreement and are caught by what you said, follow uh, my advice and save yourself, for you have placed yourself in your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go and beg to have your, um, your name erased, don't put it off, do it now, don't, tr- don't rest until you do, save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a, a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. If you've gotten yourself in a bad debt, get yourself out of it. And that's one of Dave Ramsey's big principles. If you're in this debt, make that the priority to get out of it. That's what this is saying. If you've got a bad debt, get out of it quickly. Proverbs 22 says this, uh, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. When you borrow, you become a slave. Now you're, you're, it's called debt because you're indebted um, and it becomes a burden for you. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantees for debt. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should, you, uh, why should he take your bed from under you? Um, here's what Dave Ramsey says. The Bible doesn't say debt is sin, but it has nothing good to say about it and definitely discourages it. The risk you accept when taking on debt is too great to make any possible benefit worth it. Take God's word on this and save up to pay cash for the things other people might borrow for. Um... Yeah. Take your time. Be patient. If there's something you want to buy, save up and don't pay the interest on it. It'll cost less. It's just, it's kind of a simple principle, but it requires patience, which not many of us have. This is an important thing. By the way, um, this came up in the, in the book of Romans when I was teaching through Romans a number of years ago. And the book of Romans talks about debts we do have. We do have a a debt to share the gospel with unbelievers. We're obligated to do that. We have a debt. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We should live a holy life because the Holy Spirit's empowering us to live the holy life. We should pay our taxes to the government. And we should love one another. Those are legitimate debts. But it's not a legitimate debt to have a bigger TV. Um, Or um, a a bigger house or a nicer um, car. None of those are, are entitlements that we have. But here's things we're obligated to do. Share the gospel, live a holy life, be a good citizen, and love people around you. That's what we're called to do. And you know what? Finally, let me get to this. It's not my last one, but it's a being a joyful giver. That's what a good steward is. They are joyful givers because they understand the bigger picture. It's not my stuff, and I'm using this to invest in different things. As a steward of God's resources, a disciple of Christ considers the opportunity to invest in the gospel a privilege. They see this as something, this is an opportunity for me. It's not this obligation and a burden. It's an opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven, <laughs> to use God's resources in a way that would please him. Because what is, he, what, is, what is he all about? He's all about bringing glory to himself by making his son famous around the world. Are you investing in that? I think so many of us are going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, how have you managed your resources? How did you live your life? And a lot of people are going to stand before him and say, I had a good time. Aren't you proud of me? I had fun down there. And he's going to say, really? Is that what you thought I wanted you to do? Is have fun? 
how about contributing to the purpose, the story that I needed to be told around the world? That's a privilege for us. Jesus says this, give and you will receive. Your gift will be returned to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. God will bless you for it. I don't know how, I don't know when. It may not be here. There's no guarantee here. This isn't prosperity gospel, sow a seed and you're going to get blessed here. You know what? You may give $1,000 and it's gone. But it's for the gospel and it will be given back to you maybe in heaven. 2 Corinthians 9. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. Usually, here's what I say. Don't give 10%. Give 9 or 11 so that you don't feel locked in. <laughs> give 9 or 11, and then after that, just start asking the Lord, how much do you want me to give? And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I'm not pressuring anybody to give. It's a privilege. But God loves those who give cheerfully. It doesn't say that he doesn't love people who give begrudgingly. Um, It just says he does love those who give cheerfully. Who understand? It's all his resources anyways. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. Make up your own mind about what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. No sob stories here, no arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. You think about it. You give what you want to give. That's what you should be doing. God will give generously providing all you need. (laughs) Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. God's going to take care of you if you're a generous giver. And finally, if you're a wise investor... You're taking your future responsibly and you're investing in your future here now so that you can leave an inheritance to others, but you're investing in your future in heaven as a steward of God's resources, a disciple of Christ takes the long range view of life and invests with wisdom. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. It is a freaking ant. Its brain is minuscule. Yet it stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at the harvest. It thinks about the future. (laughs) An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Here's the lessons that that is. Plan for the future and avoid get-rich-quick schemes. That's what it says. (laughs) Plan for the future, avoid get-rich-quick schemes. What is stewardship? Stewardship means managing the resources of the king until he returns. And you know what? He's coming back. He's been delayed. And some of us, like silly bridesmaids, have fallen asleep. And we're not managing the resources well. And when the call comes, he's coming back. A lot of us are going to wake up and be ashamed at his coming instead of confident at his coming. Because we're not working hard, managing well investing wisely, avoiding things that oppress us, and generously giving to his purposes. So where do we end from this? Three, three very simple next steps from this message. First of all, recognize that God is the sovereign owner of everything, and you're just the steward. It ain't your stuff. Give it up. It's not yours. You don't get to keep it. All the stuff you're laying up right now is headed to the Conway City dump. Are you going to manage that stuff for him? 
Secondly, commit yourself to being a steward of your entire life for the glory of God. Again, this isn't about just giving. And to, to make that most clear, my last step is this. Choose one area, hard worker, prudent manager, cautious debtor, joyful giver, wise investor. Choose one of those areas. Just look at it. It's on the front of the bulletin. Choose one area where you're going to say, I'm going to be better at this. Just choose one. Stewardship is a big thing. And the world has changed our perspective, and we've kind of pulled the, the reins back in, and, and, and a lot of people are not working hard at work anymore. A lot of people are uh, just kind of lollygagging. We've kind of moved into places where it's all about us. No matter what stage of life you're in, are you investing, and are you being a steward so that when the king returns, you're not surprised, the king returns, and you have confidence at his coming. Father, thank you for um, taking our lives seriously. This isn't heady stuff. This isn't theological dribble. It's not um, beyond our ability to comprehend. Father, all of this is just regular day by day, life by life, choice by choice decisions that we make. If we seriously understand that we have a relationship to you, and you're the God of the universe, you're our Savior, but you're our King, and we're stewards. Help us to steward well. Lord, make us a church that, that everybody's working together to do this well. <laughs> uh, make us a rare example of that. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.